Do you have a tricky work problem that you need to solve? I have a great podcast recommendation for you featuring a pair of expert women. Whether you're just starting your career or a seasoned professional, check out Fixable, a podcast from TED. Hosted by Harvard professor Frances Fry and her wife, leadership coach Ann Morris, the brilliant duo provide honest, actionable advice to help you navigate everything from a gaslighting manager to returning to work after parental leave. They'll leave you feeling empowered and ready to act. Listen to Fixable wherever you get your podcasts. Hey all, and welcome to the Bossed Up Podcast. I know it has been a heavy few weeks, so I hope this episode finds you healthy, safe, and well. In the past two weeks, we've done a lot of introspection, self-reflection, and passing the mic here at Bossed Up to highlight the voices of Black women in our communities. And today, I want to take the mic back to talk directly to my fellow white feminists for a moment. As we find ourselves in this moment where the Black Lives Matter movement is finally rightfully getting more mainstream mass attention to what has been, you know, a longstanding problem that's as American as apple pie. I think it's really important for white folks like me to not stay silent, but instead to speak out and actually speak directly to white people. I went on a hike this past weekend after I took kind of a break from social media to hike a 13er here in Colorado with some friends. And a friend of a friend who was there was actually a white woman police officer. So you can imagine the conversations that we had over the course of a couple hours, hiking up a 13,000 foot tall mountain about the stresses of her job, which she was very candid about, and about the stresses of black people in America and, you know, facing people in her uniform. And I was kind of reminded as we had a conversation in which she said, you know, listen, I don't have a racist cell in my body which kind of took my breath away. I was reminded, holy shit, we have work to do. White people talking to white people. And here in Colorado, especially making the transition from a city that is multicultural, multinational, like Washington, D.C., to a state like Colorado, which is just so much more white. My friend group being very white here has reminded me that one of the most important things we can do here in this time is make sure we're having conversations white people to white people, right? And that is actually feels really different about this movement right now than in the past. So when she said that, you know, I don't have a racist cell in my body, I said to her, well, come on, that's not true. You know, and I talked to her about how we all have unconscious bias. And I leveled with her about moments in my life when I recognized myself being racist when I recognize bias in myself, I said, how can we even begin to have the conversations we need to have if we can't acknowledge the truth that Black people are screaming from the rooftops about wanting their humanity and their experience to be acknowledged as real? And I'm telling you, that was the beginning of the mountain. Like that was just the first hundred yards of a climb. That conversation started like that. And we, I'm, I'm happy to say we had a lot 
in common. And I think we learned a lot from each other over the course of that hike. So in that spirit, to sort of continue that conversation today, I wanted to speak specifically about five things, five pretty quick things. I'm going to make this a quick episode um, that white feminists must stop doing right now. So let's get into it. Number one, thinking that there's no such thing as white feminism. Obviously, feminism, when we're really talking about feminism, it's not really feminism unless you take an intersectional approach to dismantling oppressive systems. And I'll actually link to a past um, blog post I wrote on what intersectional feminism really is, as coined by Kimberly Crenshaw in today's show notes. But The moral of the story is that if you deny the long history of racism within the feminist movement and the problematic nature of some of our feminist heroes in the suffragette movement, for example, which, by the way, continues today and that legacy is not completely in the past, it essentially erases and dismisses black women's experiences altogether. This is an especially important time to get our facts straight on the racist history of feminism as we're coming up on the centennial anniversary of the 19th Amendment, which granted women, but really just white women, the right to vote 100 years ago this August 18th. You know, feminism as a movement has had a long history of leaving black women out or considering black women kind of an afterthought. And it's part of the reason why a lot of black women don't identify with the term feminist, but instead use the term womanist. Long feminist theory class worth of conversation could be had on that. Um, But moral of the story is if you call yourself a feminist or a womanist, now is the time to make sure that you're not just espousing white feminism, which ignores the unique challenges and the unique beauties, like the unique, wonderful experiences. Just check out the hashtag black girl magic for more of women of colors experiences. So we can't paint all women's experiences with the same brush. Number two, we got to stop getting defensive with the recent protests of the past few weeks and the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement. A lot of people are getting called out and called in left and right. (laughs) And as more folks speak out, more folks will also inevitably put their foot in their mouths. White allies are not going to get things right all the time, and no one expects us to. The most important thing to remember is to resist that totally natural urge to get defensive. It sounds easy, but trust me, it is not. I was recently critiqued for a job opening I shared in our Courage community where I mentioned that we were especially looking to hire a woman of color. I thought I was being inclusive, but I completely missed the mark. I'm nearly a decade into working in the space, and I just in that moment, in moving too quickly, I did not realize how completely tokenizing that move was. Women of color, just like anyone don't want to feel like HR is just checking a box by hiring them. They want to know that all hiring processes are designed in a way that mitigates bias and focuses on merit. Thankfully, in our case, another member of our Courage community brought this misstep to my attention so that I could learn and listen and do better. Now, when you're called out, which let's face it, if you're speaking out about sexism and racism, you are going to be called out at some point. 
You got to resist the totally understandable urge to defend yourself. Listen and learn and try to understand and empathize. And if you have the chance, thank the person who went out of their way to show you the error in your ways. Number three, we got to quit saying the word tribe when we're talking about our pals, okay? Can we please retire tribe right along with girl boss, which I have a whole other episode of the podcast about from just a few weeks ago? Because what seems like an empowering feminist, you know, rah rah phrase to describe your community is actually a completely offensive appropriation of the Native American term, the the first people's word. And with substitutes like squad, community, or my people. Who really needs tribe after all? I recently on LinkedIn um, had someone message me saying they were a fan of my work and that they were excited to connect with me because they're always trying to grow their tribe of amazing women. And I was like, hey, really excited to be you know, connected with you. I think I said one piece of feedback I'd love to give you is to maybe come up with a different word other than tribe, which could be really offensive and appropriating. And they, I don't think they liked that comment very much, but it was an interesting reminder that it's still widely in use and now is as good a time as ever to cut it out. Number four, we got to quit fetishizing. Is that how you say that? Fetishizing? What a weird word. Having mixed babies. I didn't even realize this was a thing until recently, but adoration of mixed race babies Or being a white woman who like pines to have biracial babies is actually completely grounded in white supremacy. It might seem innocuous, but it's not. If you want to understand this problematic nature further, check out a great video here I linked to in today's show notes and corresponding blog post by Francesca Ramsey, one of my favorites and the author of, well, That Escalated Quickly. And you can learn more about colorism as well, which is a practice of discrimination in which those with lighter skin are treated more favorably than those with darker skin. And it really is symptomatic of racism and a history of white supremacy in the United States that upholds standards of white beauty and sort of prizes white babies or less black babies above 100% black babies. It's just a weird thing also. It's just weird. It's uncomfortable. It's it's not okay. Let's stop making race the thing that deems certain babies cuter than others. Can we say that? Can we do that? That would be great. And finally, and this is the most important point of them all, white feminists have got to stop calling the police. The police are not our personal hall monitors, and yet far too many white women seem to think otherwise. We saw this the other week with the Amy Cooper fiasco in Central Park when a white woman threatened to and then did call the police to, quote, tell them there's an African-American man threatening my life, end quote, in response to a very reasonable request to leash her dog. This behavior goes way back to America's long legacy of white supremacy that basically held up white women and militarized or weaponized white lady tears as these pristine, innocent people to be protected and contrasted that with black men who were deemed presumed criminals and rapists. And I can't even use the past tense on that because that is still 
part of the big problems that we're seeing right now drawn extra attention to in light of the recent police brutality incidents that presumed guilt of black men and presumed innocence of white women makes the act of calling police as a white woman on black and brown folks extremely dangerous. And if you don't believe me, listen to this. Back in 1876, 100 or more black people were massacred in Ellington, South Carolina, when a single white woman, Lucy Foreman Harley, claimed she was attacked by two black men. And another white girl's screams are what sparked the 1921 Tulsa massacre. But you really don't even have to go that far back in history to see how white women's tears or claims of victimization have been weaponized against folks of colors. If we learn nothing from the senseless murder of George Floyd less than three weeks ago, it should be the immense danger that we put black and brown folks in when calling the police. So making the choice to do so in light of an emergency or an imminent threat should never be made lightly. We have to understand that by picking up the phone and calling the police on someone who looks suspicious or is playing music too loud can inadvertently be putting other innocent Americans at risk of harm, if not death and murder. I know this is a lot. I know we're all going through a lot, but I am so reminded right now that this movement cannot be shouldered by black people alone. So white folks, white women, white feminists, especially, let's take this moment to educate other white folks, to have these uncomfortable sometimes conversations with other white people in our world, because our spheres of influence, especially as white folks, can actually help take the messages of how to dismantle white supremacy and bring them to, deliver them to, the people who actually need to hear it. I hope today's little episode here helps give you some concrete ideas of how to be better allies, how to do better, and how to acknowledge that we're not going to do this perfectly. I'm not a perfect shining example by any means. We did come out with our plan for more active anti-racism here at Bossed Up the few weeks ago, and I'll link to that in today's show notes as well. But this is about more than corporate social responsibility, right? This is about how all of us, but especially white folks and especially white feminists can do more and do better for our black and brown Americans and, and human beings. If you found today's episode helpful, share it with the people in your world who you know could use it. You can get all the details and links to actually a whole transcript and corresponding blog post with tons of links to read up more on everything I mentioned in today's episode at bossedup.org slash episode 235. Until next time, keep Boston in pursuit of your purpose. And together, as the motto of the first Black American Women's Club said, let's lift as we climb. <laughs>